pretty amazing what uh, you know our church is able to do with from the generosity of people. And uh, for all of you guys that came out to serve at the Christmas store, we were able to give out uh, Christmas to over 900 families, which is a pretty amazing number. But an even better number than that, we saw 109 people yesterday give their lives to Jesus at both of our Christmas stores. Come on, that's... So we didn't provide Christmas for some families. We provided something that's going to impact them for all of eternity, which is such a better, a better thing than, than any toy or any present will give on, on Christmas morning. So thank you guys for being such a generous church and, and being so amazing on, on that front. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad you're joining with us today. Can you guys help me welcome our Lighthouse Point location as they're joining in with us? We love you guys. We're so glad you're joining with us. And I'm excited for the Christmas season. Man, we've got Christmas Eve coming up here in a couple of weeks. And uh, at our Lighthouse Point location, we're having a service at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock at that location. And then over here in Parkland, we have Christmas in the park at Pine Trails Park at the amphitheater. Something we do here every year. We're expecting thousands of people to show up at that. And you guys have invite cards no matter what location you're at. I want to encourage you, take these, invite some friends, family, co-worker. You, you would be amazed at the power of an invitation during the Christmas season and how it can give hope to people. And we promise we'll, we'll do a great job of creating an environment for your friends and your family and your co-workers to come out and experience the reason for the season. Anybody excited about Christmas? Okay, okay. So this section and this section, the center... Not really excited about Christmas. Okay, I, I get it. Hey, that, that's the reality of life. There's a lot of people that are, that are super hyped about Christmas, and, and there's people that, that they're, they're like ready to go, and, and then there's people like here in the center section that, that don't really enjoy Christmas. And, and listen, I get it. I get it. You, maybe this is the Brazilian section, and the translation hasn't come through yet. Come on, we're, we're talking real talk here in Parkland. Real talk right now. But here's what I know, it, it, it's not always the, the happiest time on earth for a lot of people. In fact, growing up, Christmas was, was not the happiest time on earth for my life because it's the season where my parents got separated and ended up getting a divorce. And so Christmas growing up wasn't always a great reminder of great things. And I know that there's a lot of people that they, they don't enjoy Christmas. In fact, I found this statistic this week, Do you know that more people commit suicide in the month of December than the other 11 months throughout the year combined? Why? Because there are a lot of people, like I said, that this is, this is the greatest season of the year, but for a lot of other people, this is the most difficult season of the year. Because we've all experienced some hard things. And a lot of times what happens is, is because we have had an experience, we associate that experience with that's how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And, and that's how I thought Christmas would be for the rest of my life until I had the realization of what God wanted to do through the Christmas story. And what I want to talk to you today about as we're just in this season is I want to talk to you about the wonder of Christmas. And, and here's really what I want to say to you. The wonder of Christmas is that it changes everything for everybody. That's the wonder of Christmas is that it changes everything for every single person. And I want to talk to us about how do we awaken the wonder of Christmas to really get 
what it's all about. But I also know that there are some hindrances to us experiencing the wonder of Christmas. And if we were honest, most of us would say, if, if I was to poll you and go, hey, the reason why we don't experience the wonder of Christmas, most of us would say is because of busyness. Let's just be honest. Is this not one of the busiest seasons of earth. Like uh, anytime it's Christmas season, you have places to go, people to see, events to be a part of. You have shopping you have to do. You have wrapping you have to do. You have parties you've got to attend. You've got family you've got to appease. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on. And it's really, really easy to get so busy that we miss out on the wonder of Christmas. And, and, and I would submit that that's a good reason why we miss out on the wonder but I think that there's an even bigger reason why we miss out on the wonder of Christmas. And I think it's because of familiarity. It's because of familiarity. Listen, like, when do we start? The moment Halloween ends, Christmas starts, right? We skip Thanksgiving. We don't even get Thanksgiving its day. Why? Because we, 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 want, we want, society wants us to get in that spirit, get in that mood, get in that mood of shopping and stimulating the economy and doing all those things. And because it's so familiar, we're seeing it, we're hearing it, we're experiencing all, it, all of a sudden there isn't this wonder and there isn't this awe with it anymore. Let, let me prove my point. Uh, I, I'm a person that I, I have an addictive personality. If, if, if you've been at Coastal any length of time, you've probably discovered like he's a little weird. And, and that's partly because I, I, when, whenever I, I find something I like, man, like I just go all in. Like I'm all in a thousand percent. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like on it like white on rice. I mean, that's just, and, and so particularly when it comes to music and and a couple of months ago, I heard a song for the first time. I mean, you've probably heard it. In fact, we're gonna play it for you. Go ahead and play the song for you. Now, what's interesting is, is we started playing this song at church. Some of you guys have never heard that song before because you're always late. And you know who you are right now, okay? You just self, that just self-identified you. But, uh, but so, so I heard this song like three months ago, and the moment I heard it, because I have this addictive personality, I, I put it on my, my playlist, and it's the only th song that I listen to. So every time I'd get in the car, it would be uh, A Thousand Names. The name of the song is called A Thousand Names. And so I'd listen to it over and over and over again. And so Shayla would get in the car with me, and A Thousand Names would come on, and she'd be like, seriously, TJ, this song again? I said, oh, babe, don't worry, it gets better, because after this song, you know what song's gonna play? This song. <laughs> in fact, we, we, we had to drive to Georgia and, and, and we get in the car and she's like, she's like, really this song? I was like, yeah, this song all the way to Georgia. You know, it's just like, like I'm just obsessive about it. But here's what I know. After I listened to it for like a month or two, now when I hear it, I'm not as excited about it as I used to be. Why? Because familiarity breeds contempt in our life. And here's what I know about Christmas, because we get so familiar with it, it breeds contempt where we lose the awe and we lose the wonder of it. And what we end up doing is we end up settling for an imitation Christmas instead of the real thing. And I, we just do. Let me explain it like this. Uh, a few years ago, I have this friend named Nicole. She, she's a vegan. If you don't know what a vegan is, a vegan is basically somebody that doesn't like the taste of food. That's what a vegan is. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> she's 
sound it like I see it, okay? <laughs> I'm going to get an email from somebody like, you shouldn't pick on vegans. Well, you should eat food, okay? Uh, <laughs> sorry. So, so she comes to me. It was right after Thanksgiving. She comes up to me. She's like, Pastor DJ, I found, I found this, this tofu turkey that tastes just like turkey. You should try it. And I looked at Nicole and I said, Nicole, I've found something that tastes just like turkey too. It's called turkey. <laughs> like, don't give me the imitation when I can eat the real thing. And I think what happens for a lot of us is we're settling for an imitation of Christmas instead of the real thing that encompasses the awe and the wonder and the real and what it is all about. And I want us to marvel at the story. I want us to be amazed at the story. I want us to recognize that how this story changes everything for everybody. So how does wonder happen? And, 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 and most of us have experienced wonder in a relationship or we've experienced in a gift that somebody has given to us or an event we've been at at a sporting event. But here's basically the equation of how wonder happens. It's unexpected plus undeserved equals wonder. So when you have something unexpected in your life and undeserved combined together, it creates wonder. Now, if you remove unexpected, or you remove undeserved, you no longer have wonder in your life. And, and here's the problem with this when it comes to Christmas time, is there's not much in this season that is really unexpected. And there's not much in this season where we feel like I'm undeserved of that. In fact, most of us feel like I deserve everything I'm gonna get. Like, I deserve that Louis Vuitton purse because you got me pregnant and I've been up with that baby. Husband, come on, ladies, you know it's true. You do deserve it, too. I'll just tell you that right now. If he doesn't think so, say, Pastor TJ told me I deserve that. We think we deserve, and when we have a, a mentality of, well, I deserve, and, and, and um, I'm expecting, what happens is, is there ceases to be wonder. And we miss out on the amazingness of the gift that is Christmas and what it means for every single one of us. So how do we begin to restore that wonder when it comes to Christmas? Because for some of you, in this season, you're full of hope and you're full of joy and you're full of peace and you're full of love because God has been so good to you in this season. But there's others in this room that you're missing joy and you're missing peace, and you're missing love. In fact, you're asking the question, God, where are you? And let's just get real and honest here because the reality for the majority of us is, is you're not gonna wake up on Christmas morning next to a super hot spouse that doesn't have morning breath and is smiling and excited and you're not gonna jump out of bed and grab hands and walk down the stairs and, and open your front door in Parkland to a, a light snow with a Lexus with a bow on it, right? Like, <laughs> like very few of us, that is going to be our story and I know that that's a disappointment because the only people that happens to are the people in the commercial, right? 
And so I know that may be a little discouraging, but what you have to realize is that there are entire industries that are out there that spend hundreds of millions of dollars to paint these unrealistic pictures for us and to give us the Hallmark movie that we think, well, that's the story that I should experience. I should just be walking around town and randomly bump into a guy, and then later on we're going to end up under mistletoe, and we're going to kiss, and it's going to change the world. That only happens in movies. That doesn't happen in real life. And we have to remind ourselves from time to time that, that these expectations are, are setting us up for some failure and some disappointment if we think that's the point. So I just want to talk to some of us here today that I believe that have lost the wonder in our life. And it turns out the most unsentimental version of the Christmas story is not found in a Hallmark movie, but it's actually found in Scripture. Let me give you some context for what is, is taking place. What, it, what is taking place is, is for hundreds of years, God has not spoken. And the last thing that he spoke to the children of Israel, and he says, hey, I, I, I'm going to give you the hope of a Messiah. I'm going to give you a hope of a Savior. I'm going to give you a hope of the future. I'm going to give you a hope that things are going to change. I'm going to give you the promises that this is going to take place and is going to get better, and that's it. And so there's a lot of people that are hoping and longing and wondering, when is the change that God spoke about? When is the promise that God said going to take place? And we see in Galatians, 4 4 it says but when the right time came God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law it says when the right time came now what's interesting about that is is that the right time that that God chooses and my time have a tendency to be totally different like God's timing and my timing never seem to align and most of us what we want we want God's power in our lives we just don't want his calendar we want his healing, we just don't want his schedule. Because we want things when we want them, and let me tell you what that time is, it's right now. And Christmas is a reminder that sometimes we're left wanting and longing and wondering when it's gonna happen, but it's also Christmas is a reminder, number one, that our God not only makes promises, but he fulfills them as well. Because right here, the promise is fulfilled. But before the promise is fulfilled, there's a lot of longing and wanting and waiting and wondering. And maybe some of you are sitting out there today and you're wondering like where God is. You're wondering, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? You're wondering, God, when are you going to show? And I feel like for most of our lives, especially if, if you've been in church for a while or you've been a follower of Jesus, that we're, we're preaching a lot of messages about hearing God's voice, about discovering God's will, about knowing when God is speaking to you. But we preach very few messages on the silence of God. And I think the reason why we don't preach a lot on the silence of God is because silence is awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. In fact, some of the, the silence was killing some of you. You just started laughing. <laughs> You're just trying to break the silence, right? But if you look throughout Scripture, as heck, if you just start to evaluate your life, 
you'll soon discover that God is most powerfully present when he seems most apparently absent. The problem is, is you don't see it in the moments. You only see it in the rearview mirror. When you look back and you go, oh, in that situation where I felt like I was alone and I was abandoned. No, no, no. God was holding me. God was walking with me. God was investing. In fact, if I, if I could sum up this entire message, I would sum it up with, with this phrase right here. God is, God was, God will be with me. In fact, I, I, I want us to, to kind of say this out loud together. I don't kind of want, I want us to say this out loud together. This is an all-skate moment for all of us in church today. Uh, on the count of three, if you'll repeat this with me. One, two, three. God is, God was, God will be with me. That's the message of the gospel right there. God is, God was, God will be with me even when I don't see him and even when I don't feel him. Matthew chapter two, it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. So God gives his promises and right here we're starting to see the fulfillment of his promise. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and have come to worship him. Now, you've probably heard a lot about the story of the wise men and people preach on the wise men, but very few people actually preach on this idea that during the reign of King Herod. Now, it's interesting that that phrase is put in there. There's, there's actually two significant reasons why that phrase is put in the scripture. The first one is, is that it, it's an ancient literature timestamp. It's proving the authenticity of the period of time where Jesus came into the, to, the, to the earth. So it's not just a biblical figure, it's actually a historical figure. But the second thing it's doing is it's giving you an idea of the political climate that Jesus is being born into. See, King Herod it, it was actually appointed from Rome. They actually gave him the title, the King of the Jews, which is interesting because that's the same title they, they put on the cross above Jesus when he was crucified. And, 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 and Herod was a bad bad man like he he was he was a terrible ruler he would do anything to stay in power in fact all of the predecessors who had held his position before him the moment he took power he killed all of them and, and he wasn't much better at relationships that so were closer to him. The, so historians say that he had 10 or 11 wives and, and he killed all of them. In fact, one of them was the only one that he ever loved and her name was uh, Mariah. And, and he suspected that she might be cheating on him. So instead of asking like what's going on and, and checking it out, he just had her murdered. Not only did he have her murdered, he had her entire family murdered, including the two sons that she bore to him out of their marriage. So like he's not a very nice guy. In fact, during his reign over the people of Israel, there, he was so oppressive and taxed them so much that homelessness was running rampant. There were, there were constantly like uh, these up rivals and rebellions during his reign. And when he is on his deathbed, he hates his life so much that he tries to commit suicide and fails. But word gets out that he actually, he actually did die and his oldest son begins to take the throne of his reign and when he realizes that his son is trying to succeed him, he has him killed. 
And then five days later, he dies. And because he knows that nobody will be upset when he dies, before he dies, he puts out a decree that the moment that he dies, that the armies of Rome are to go out and murder the most prominent Jews so there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the streets the day that he died. Can we all agree? He's a pretty terrible guy. Like, like the worst of the worst. Like he is sick. And this is the setup, this is the time period that Jesus is being born into. Verse seven, it says, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them that the first time when the star appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. How many of y'all know he does not wanna worship Jesus? It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. Now, not to mess up your nativity scene, but scholars say that this was actually about a year after Jesus' birth. So when you're putting out your nativity scene with the donkey and the sheep and Mary and Joseph, and you put the three wise men there, they weren't there. That's not historically or biblically accurate, just letting you know. It says, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. So just, again, speaking to the character of Herod in the time that Jesus is born. See, all was not merry and all was not bright. And this baby was not sleeping in heavenly peace because let's be honest, no baby sleeps in heavenly peace. (laughs) Especially not a baby with a price on his head. And part of what I want us to get here is that number two, Christmas is a reminder that Jesus isn't afraid of our mess. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of my mess. And you look at the circumstances that he's born into. He's in a political climate that is, that is terrible. He's, he's in a society where there is an evil dictator who's willing to kill every child under the age of two. He's born to two peasant parents in a city that is not their natural city. And it's a mess, the season and the situation that Jesus walks into because Jesus is not afraid of our mess. You know who is afraid of our mess? I'm afraid of messes. Like, I don't like messes. I particularly don't like two kinds of messes, and they begin with the letter P, puke or poop. Like, I, like those kind of messes, I don't want anything to deal with. Like, if somebody was in the back and they started gagging and throwing up, my natural reaction is I would throw up with you because I, I don't deal with those messes very well. It's just not something I, I, I do well in life. In fact, uh, quite a few years ago, I was traveling from Russia. We were doing some church planning outside of Moscow, and we were flying from Moscow back to Atlanta, direct flight. I remember getting on this flight, and uh, as we got on the flight, it was in the morning, so they were serving orange juice and stuff. I drank some orange juice, and, and, and I fell asleep because I knew the time change was gonna go on. And, and so we're flying along. I'm, I'm passed out, sleeping, and when all of a sudden in the middle of my sleep, I feel, feel somebody tugging on my jacket coat and next to me, and, and I'm kind of out of it, and, and I finally kind of awake just barely, and this lady next to me is like, I need your puke bag. And so just, just like not even thinking, I lean forward and I, I grab my puke bag and I hand it to her and I'm, I'm kind of going back to sleep, but then I hear somebody throwing up. 
And, and so I look over and the lady next to her is filling puke bags. And, and I thought to myself, that's not good. But how do you know that when you're in an airplane, the ventilation system is not real awesome? And there is a distinct aroma around throw up. And all of a sudden that aroma begins to permeate the plane and I, I start to feel it. I, I start to, you know when you're starting to get up. The only problem is, is I have given away my puke bag. How many of you know that that's, that's a bad situation to be in? And, and, and so I'm sitting next to the CFO of the church that we're a part of, and somehow he realizes what's going on. I don't know where this came from, but he pulls out a clear plastic bag and just holds it like this. His name was Dave, and, and I just start puking like crazy into this clear plastic bag. Now remember, I had drank orange juice as my last thing before I went to sleep, and so... He's got this bag of orange juice puke in his hand. The problem is, is the fastened seatbelt light is on because we're going through some turbulence right now. And so Dave is left holding the bag of puke for the next hour. How many of y'all know that? That's a bad situation right there. Some of y'all are like, how does this tie into this message at all? I have no <laughs> idea. I'm going to put a bow on it right here. I'm going to bring it all together. See, what you have to understand about the Christmas story is the fact that Jesus doesn't run away from our mess. He actually runs right to it. Just like Dave, he ran right out there and put that bag out. But here's the thing. Dave can hold the mess, but Jesus will actually redeem your mess. He'll take it and turn it into something that you could never recreate or make or dream of in your life because he is a restorer of things. And listen, I understand that right now maybe your life isn't that great. Maybe you're going through a tremendous amount of trouble in your life. And Christmas can be wonderful, but it can also be hurtful. And sometimes in our culture we get this idealized picture of how Christmas should go. And we have to remember that Jesus did not come into a picture-perfect world with picture-perfect people. He actually came into a broken and fallen world with hurting and lost and broken and desperate people. But here's what Christmas reminds us of, number three. It's a reminder that broken things can be made beautiful again. And there's this incredible phrase in Psalm 34, 18, and it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And maybe you're going into Christmas this year and you're struggling with being alone and, and you go to all these celebrations and you show up and it's a reminder that you're all alone. Or as you walk through the mall, you see couples walking hand in hand and it's a reminder of, God, when are you going to send me that? And I want to let you know that, and I don't know, maybe you never thought about this, but Jesus is good news for people who feel alone. See, Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. Because in the most difficult times of his life, his friends abandoned him. Not only did his friends abandon him, those closest to him rejected him, not once, not twice, but three times. In fact, it got so bad that when he is on the cross of Calvary, he looks up into heaven and he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it's like to be alone, and he says, hey, listen, I'm close 
to the brokenhearted. Maybe for you, some of you, it's, this season is difficult because of family and this time of year is a reminder of the complexity of family issues. And I get it, maybe some of you have the picture-perfect family where, where you sit around the table and everybody's emotionally stable and adjusted to life. But the research shows that every Christmas table, there's at least one unstable, crazy person there. It's there. And if you look around the table and you cannot identify them, it's a good chance it's you. Just trying to help some people out here today. But I know for a lot of us, this time of the year, family is complicated. And maybe family represents brokenness. Maybe it represents loss. Maybe it represents some disappointment. And maybe you've never realized this, but Jesus had family. In fact, in the book of Mark, right as he's about to begin his ministry, his family comes up to him and, and basically goes, man, you're crazy. Jesus understands the complexity of family. Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. He knows about the failure. He knows about the disappointment. He knows about the rejection. Because Jesus is good news for broken people. Because Jesus is at his best when our brokenness is at its worst. And for all of you that are out there that are having a tough time finding the wonder and awe of Christmas because of circumstances that are less than ideal, for those of you that are plagued right now by questions like, why is this happening? God, where are you? Is this your will? Is this ever going to change? Listen, I can't answer those questions definitively, but I can tell you this, that Christmas is a reminder that love still defeats hate, that hope is still stronger than the despair, that God is a God that still answers prayers and his mercies are new every single morning. And most importantly, his, tr his forgiveness trumps our deepest and darkest sin. So you think about that, all the greed that's out there, all the lust, all the betrayal, all the deep, dark things that we want nobody to ever hear and discover. He took all of that for us. Isaiah 53 says it like this. It was our weakness he carried. See, Jesus didn't come to take away our brokenness. He actually came to take it on. It says it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that you and I could be healed. And everybody gets sentimental about the manger, but very few people get sentimental about the cross. But it's at the cross where God's love for you and I is most fully expressed. And it's the moment where he, we realize that he took all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of the loneliness, all of the junk, all of the messed up stuff, and he put it on himself because God was, God is, God will be with you. And we have to remember that the Lord is close to all of us. And I don't know what you're going through or what you're struggling with here today, but I want you to know that God is close to you. And whatever your mess is, God isn't running away from it. He's actually running to it. And he's here for you. 
See, the wonder of Christmas is that God was coming near to you so that you could actually be near to God. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you that you're a God that is a promise maker and a promise keeper. That you just didn't set us up in this life to live a life of despair, but to give us a life of hope that things can change, that things can get better, that there is something that is better on the horizon. And you're not afraid of the mess that we find ourselves in, but God, you're actually running right to it. Because of your great love for you, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he sent his one and only son. And his promise is, is that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we can be saved, that we can have relationship with God, that he can turn the brokenness into something beautiful in our life, that, that we can have the fullness of all that God wants for us. And maybe you're out there today and you, you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you feel discouraged. I want to let you know that God is here for you. Because God is, God was, God will be with you. And maybe you've never experienced God being with you. It begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender. If you're out there and you say, you know what, Pastor T.D., I, I, I need God in my life. I need that kind of hope. I need that promise. I need that life that you're talking about. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just slip your hand up at the count of three, I'd love to pray a simple yet significant prayer with you. One, two, three. Yes, hands going up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Come on, seven. Anybody else? If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you for loving me. For not being afraid of my mess, but running right into it. God, I ask you to forgive me of my past, change my present, and secure my future. I surrender my will. I surrender my way. Jesus, come into my life and take over. Fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Let this Christmas remind me of the wonder and awe that you have for me, that you would love me that much, that you would pay the ultimate price. And I now love you that much that I'll follow you all of my days. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen.